want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, and um, hopefully that you um, not only have an enjoyable time with Merry Christmas, but a safe one, because um, you know, there are members in the church who have actually been exposed to the virus, and so it seems like it's only going to get worse. Um, last time the pandemic, like when it started, no one in our church was affected, but this year, um, especially in our kids, it, it seems to be um, more um, of a possibility occurring, and so probably why some of the families aren't here today as well. And um, as you continue your holiday, please take some time to um, be safe and to share with your family and friends. Well, <clears throat> it, is, it is Christmas uh, Sunday. This Saturday is Christmas Day. And, um, you know, there's a few things. One of the things of, about Christmas and Sunday is it's, um, it's easy because I know what I'm supposed to preach about, right? It's, it's about the birth of Christ. That's the easy part. The difficulty is that um, I've done so many Christmas messages, it's like hard to come up with new ones. And, and so a lot of this might be familiar uh, with it. And I think we can catch some of the difficulty. Right. Um, and so I'm going to try to do that for us today as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. you have kids, Christmas is a big deal, right? Um, if you remember Christmas time, um, as an adult or as a parent, pretty much you think Christmas is for children, right? There's Santa Claus, uh, there's reindeer, and um, the whole picture and whole image, it, it's almost um, kind of amazing if you think about it. Um, and it's what we grew up with, and it's what many of us have understood and learned, and, and our kids, especially the younger ones, really look forward to. Um, but if you've gotten older, it, it almost sounds like a fairy tale, right? Uh, when, you're, when, you, when you get older, it, it, it feels like, well, yeah, Christmas is nice, but it's another Christmas, and, and Christmas is for kids. And, and it's easy to become a, a Grinch, so to speak. Uh, Christmas holiday is for, is for children. It, it's make-believe. It, it's, it's for the less mature. It, it's a fairy tale. You know, and that's what I, to be honest, that's how I felt. And, um, you know, every year as Christmas comes by, I kind of lose that Christmas feel, whatever that is. And, you know, that's kind of how I thought. But I realized as I thought about this message and I thought about the holiday season and even myself, there's something that happened to me as I got older. Um... There's this attitude we have, you know, well, now that I'm older, I know better. Uh, I'm more educated. I'm more enlightened. I'm more scientific. I'm more rational. And uh, that may be true. But I realized as I got older, I, I lost something. I lost a sense of wonder. In a culture where we think that, especially today, that if we don't understand something, we're going to eventually figure it out, whether it's through science, with technology, with just more time. And as we learn, learn more and more and more, what I realize as I've gotten older, there's less and less room for, for just wonder. And, and maybe that's why every Christmas, even though I think Christmas a certain way, that I always go to the Rockefeller Center to check out the tree. Because it's nostalgic. It reminds me of when I was a kid, you know, and, and when... I had Christmas presents under the tree, and when I had wonder, 
Maybe that's why as parents, um, as uncles and as aunts, we relive vicariously through our young children, our nieces, our nephews, that, that same wonder, that wide-eyed, high expectation, excitement for Christmas. When was the last time you felt a sense of wonder in your life? Think about it. And we've had glimpses of it. I mean, if you've been to some place that you've never been in, like maybe you've never seen the Grand Canyon and you see it for the first time, you're, you're amazed, you're astonished. It, there's a sense of wonder. It, it wears off, but it was there. Maybe you've been, you know, traveling and you were in the Swiss Alps and you've seen the mountains for the first time like never before and it's breathtaking. You've had a glimpse of wonder. Even being on the ocean, as you look as far as the ocean ends, and it just never ends, and it's always deep, and you wonder what kind of things live in that huge body. There's a sense of wonder, isn't there? How deep and how wide it is. If you like Marvel movies, that's supposed to be a sense of wonder. That's why you like it. That's why they call it Marvel, because you marvel something that you've seen on TV. And in our passage today, it's meant to be a sense of wonder. For in verse 6, we're told this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. Okay? Literally, it means this, the wonder of a counselor, an amazing and astonishing counselor, one who does marvelous things. And so there are three quick points I want us to think about as we think about Christmas season this year again. What is so wonderful about the wonderful counselor? And what we see here in Isaiah is basically three things. The first, there's the wonder of this person, this person being born, and the fact that he's a king, that's an aspect of wonder okay, that he has. Second, this king has a far-reaching plan. And then third, this far-reaching plan by this king is for the love and the care of his people, his loving providence. Okay? Why is the counselor so wonderful? What is so wondrous about this birth of this child? Because he's the king, he's got a far-reaching plan, and he's got, that plan includes a love and care for his people. All right, let's look at that really quickly. Just to give you a background, he's a king. You know, this book, Isaiah, was written in a time around 700 B.C. And if you lived in this time, um, it was quite tough in Jerusalem. If you lived there, you wouldn't want to be there anymore. You would find a way to get out and never come back. And part of it was because this nation, Assyria, was really coming down on them. They were their enemy. But the real pressure was actually coming from inside. They had bad kings. Uh, king Ahaz had just ended. They had a, you know, a decent king in Hezekiah after him. But then the next king, King Manasseh, was very, very wicked. He, he was a horrible king, the worst king of all, probably. And so... In that time, for the Jewish people, the people really longed for a good king. And who do you think about in Jewish culture when you think about a good king? You think about David. Someone who was like David. 
You know, they think about the good old days. They think about when David was king. He was the model king. He was the guy that in the bad times, he would bring us back into the good times. He, he was strong in character. He was wise. He was a leader. He had military might. And he led the nation in times of peace. And he was humble as well. Right? He humbled himself, you know, when David sinned before God. He didn't try to hide it. He confessed it. He was a king that people really looked up to. And so during this time, in this situation, around 703 B.C., the people are longing for a better days with a better king. And along comes Isaiah, and he says to them, a child will be born. And then in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from the time forth forevermore. Isaiah gives them a prophecy of a king. And then you go to Matthew and you read the you know, first chapter of Matthew and it begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? And the very first thing that that genealogy mentions is this, the son of who? David. He, he mentions that out of order. Abraham came before David, but he mentions first, the son of David. He wanted to highlight, Matthew wanted to highlight that Jesus, that baby that was born in a manger, is the king who is like David that everybody was waiting for. He was to rule with great wisdom. He was that kingly person with honor and majesty. And that baby is going to be that king. I want us to think about this just a little bit because what is the wonder of this? What's the big deal of this? You know, if you see nativity scenes out there in people's lawns and in front of places, what, what's the importance of that, right? Why do they gather around that little baby? It isn't because, I think in the context, it isn't because they knew that he was the Savior. I think that he was going to be the Savior, but in Jewish thinking, they gathered around him. They made a big deal out of him because that baby is the king. He's a king. And the wonder of that is this. No one knew who he was. He was born in an insignificant town. He was greeted by no-name shepherds. He was born to this insignificant virgin girl named Mary in a no-name barn. And he's going to be the next king of the world? A king like David? A king better than David? I mean, because he's the king. That's what the big deal of this passage. That's the big deal of the birth of Christ. That's why King Herod tried to kill all those babies before Jesus got older. Because King Herod was threatened. Not because he was the savior of sin, but because he was the king. The king. And you got to wonder if you're there. This is it. This baby is going to do profound things out of deep counsel and reflection from his father. And he will be a king. He's the king. And that was amazing. Amazing. Unbelievable, you could say. But the second thing, what ought to be wondrous, was not just that he was the king, but the king had a far-reaching plan. Look at verse 7 very carefully. It says that his government and his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, he will establish it with justice, righteousness, from this time forth and forever. Here's the wonder of God's counsel. In verse 7, Isaiah tells us, there will be no end to his rule. Over justice and righteousness forever. 
ultimately he's going to do that. You know, the wonder is, forever is a long time. How, how is he going to do that forever? No one lives forever. No king ever ruled forever. And that's the promise there. And not only that, but he's going to do it with justice and righteousness. It means that this king has to deal decisively with what's wrong in the world, with unjust or injustice, with sin and sinfulness, and do it forever. It's a far-reaching plan. But it's a surprise. Because it's going to take a lot to do that. And how is that going to be done through a baby? Through the weakness and the frailty of a child. And that's the wonder here of this far-reaching plan. The plan means strength and weakness. What is wonderful and what is so wondrous about the wonderful counselor here in this point is that he is at moments so small. He appears helpless and weak. And at the same time, the wonder is that all the strength of man is not stronger than the baby. And the baby will become the world's savior. What we need to recognize about the wonderful counselor is that he is a king with a far-reaching plan, but strength and weakness. And at the same time, that plan involves loving providence and care for his people. Here's the third thing that we ought to think about. When we say providence, what we mean is someone who is able to look ahead in our lives and then determine what is good for us and its outcome. The plan for us is this, that it is for our good and not for our ill, to give us care and love. Look at verse 2 in our passage. Let me read this. He says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. That's the hope, right? Light and darkness. Maybe that's why the shepherds saw that light in the sky. It's the promise of the Isaiah chapter 9. Think of the situation in your life today. Where do you need a wonderful counselor today? Where in your life is the propensity for darkness whether it's from your own sin, maybe because of someone else's sin, or even some circumstance in the world today. Where is the situation right now where you feel in the dark and it's overshadowing you? And the encouragement seems to be here, and this is unbelievable, right? The encouragement, well, this baby's born. How is that going to help? How is the fact that thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, this baby being born, the promise of this baby being born is going to help me in my dark moment today? And the answer is, from the cradle to the cross. That as hard as things are for people, even today, we need to remember that the loving father with that same hand, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all on Jesus Christ and the cross. And what that really means is this. It means that you have a child who is now the king and the savior, who has a plan for us, who cares for us, but who can be trusted through any dark valley that you need to cross. He's now the light that shines in the darkness. Why? Because he went through the valley of the shadow of death himself. The wondrous thing about this king is this. This king gives his life for his subject. No king does that. 
this master gives, gives his life for his servants. No master does that. And yet this is what he does. And he does it so that in your dark moments, he might be your light that shines hope that we so desperately need. Not only to just see you through it, but to accompany you through it. To comfort you as the wonderful counselor. And a promise to end it the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That means he's with us. You know, um, the famous, I guess, poster or, or poem called Footprints. Do you ever see that one? Footprints in the sand. Where you see there the picture there. In the beginning, you know, there is two sets of footprints. And then it turns into one set of footprints. And um, uh, it, it, what it says is that, you know, the person's walking goes, you know what, why did you abandon me when things get difficult? I was walking alone. That's why there's only one set of footprints. And the response is, I didn't leave you alone. The one set of footprints is me. I carried you, and that's why there's only one set. But as nice as that sounds, you and I need to remember this. There is and always have only been one set of footprints. That you and I have been carried from the very beginning, not just when it was tough, by a counselor who is wonderful, who never abandons you because he's been through the most difficult times himself. And he has done already for us that which we need the most. And that's why he should be trusted. And that's why he gives us wisdom and love for what we need now, even in our most darkest moments. You know, uh, Corey Ten Boom, I don't know if you know who she is, but in 1944, she was in the Nazi uh, concentration camp with her family for about 10 months. And she was struggling with the goodness of God at the time because of the death of her sister in that camp. And this is what she says, quote, Often I heard people say how good God is, and we pray that it would not rain on our picnic and look at the lovely weather and say, yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was discouraged and I thought God had forgotten us, and my sister said, no, Corey, he has not forgotten us. Remember his words. As far and as high as the heavens are, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And Corey Ten Boom concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you to never doubt that victorious love, whatever the circumstance. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And this child is a kingly person. This child from the beginning had a far-reaching plan. And this child in his plan had a loving providence to be with us and to be for us throughout the end of the age. And at the root of every trial, at the root of every moment of darkness in our life is a question of faith. Can I trust him? Can I trust a kingly person with a far-reaching plan who loves me and cares for me out of his providential love? Can I trust him? That's the question. Now, some of you might be thinking, but you know, kind of like Christmas, what if this is all a fairy tale? What if this is all a fairy tale, right? We just want to believe, but not sure. You might think fairy tales are just that, they're just fairy tales, but think about what they are. Deep down, 
we long for something about fairy tales. That's why we keep watching them. That's why we keep reading them. The possibility of them. You know, the author of um, Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien said this, quote, Fairy tales move us in a way that realistic fiction does not and cannot, because fairy tales speak to us of several deep human longings that we are almost afraid to admit and that we can never discard. We long to survey the depths of time and space. We long to get outside of time altogether and escape death. We long to hold communion with other living things like angels. We long to find a love which perfectly heals from which we can never depart. And we long to triumph over evil finally and totally. When you are in the middle of a great fairy tale, the fairy tale lets you live even briefly with the dream that love without parting, escape from death, triumph over evil are real and realizable. That's why the stories stir us so deeply and why we will go on reading and writing them no matter what the critics may say. And this is what he concludes. But the gospel is better. For the truth of Jesus is this, the message is this, that through Jesus Christ, every single one of those things that the fairy tales talk about is true and will come to pass. We will hang out with angels. We will have loves from which we are never parted. We will see an absolute triumph over evil. There is a beauty who will kiss you in all your beastliness and transform you. There is a prince who will save us forever. The reality, he says, the reality leaves me breathless and astonished, end quote. He's in wonder of the gospel. Christianity is a religion of faith, but if you're waiting to believe in something, to have faith in something, only until you've made sense of it all, well, then it wouldn't really be faith, would it? You wouldn't need faith. But the Christian faith, among many things, was meant to be a faith of wonder. That although you do understand some things, it also means that there are going to be things that you just can't quite grasp. Things that go beyond what we already know. Things that are bigger than you. Things that ought to make you marvel and wonder and sing like that Christmas hymn. What child is this who lay to rest while Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of me. We need more wonder in our lives, especially these days. As we get older, as we look at our younger children, we need to fight for a sense of wonder. Even the wonder of Christmas, if you will, that made shepherds and kings and even angels sing. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to all men. I hope and pray this year as you celebrate Christmas, you don't just run to the presents and rip them open, but you also take a little moment to see and to experience more again, to fight for the wonder of what Christ has done for us.